to the Starting With One podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information on Canadian healthcare, financial and estate planning issues, and running a business. With each episode, Robin and Al will be exploring topics that matter to you. Starting With One is built off of our experience that we enhance the lives of many starting with one. Every great story that we get to share all started with one phone call, one conversation, or one meeting. These are the stories that make us very proud to do what we do, and it all starts with one. Hey folks, welcome back to the Starting With One podcast. So good to be back with you again, and as always, really appreciate all the feedback that comes in. It does help shape the direction of the show, so keep that coming. As always, or as usual, I'll say, I'm here with my business partner, Al McDonald. Morning, Robin. Good to see you again. Good to be here. You know, we've talked about this before. Al is my business partner, but over the years, he also became my financial planner because like I tell everyone, he's one of the best that I've ever met at it and uh, certainly does a good job for me. And one of the things Al will do, and I've seen him do it with other clients, but did it with me as well, is one of the first questions is, do you have a will? Really important. So from an estate planning process, there's a lot that goes into that. And of course, that's not my side of the business, Al. That's yours and you do it very well. But Al suggested he bring on the show a very important part of his team when he's doing the estate planning, and that's Susanna Winsboro. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm going to sit back and listen in on this one, but I think this is a really important topic, uh, what you guys are going to be talking about, and I think you're going to be talking about why it's so important. We are. So as Robin said, we've got Susanna on our podcast today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about wills, and certainly one of the things when I'm sitting down with a client, as you mentioned, Robin, when I'm going through the process with them, One of my first questions that we'll talk about is, you know, do you have a will? Especially important for people with families, business owners, etc. And it's amazing how many people don't have a will. So that's not my area of expertise. You know, I know enough to be able to talk about it. But certainly when it comes down to uh, saying, you know, can you put a will together for me? That's not my job. But I usually recommend that they go and see an estate lawyer, which Susanna is. So welcome. Thanks for coming in today. So Susanna, why don't you just give us a little bit of background to start on how you got into this, what your areas of expertise are. Then I've got some questions for you. Sure. Okay. So I'm a partner at Kaiser Mason Ball and I'm in the business and estate succession group there. And within that group, there's two sides. There's the personal side, which is estate planning involving wills, powers of attorney and trusts. And then on the corporate side, there's corporate reorganizations and estate freezes. And I really got into this area because I wanted to help people. I actually had an amazing professor in law school who got me into it, but that's another story. But other than that, I really enjoy helping people. I've taken various designations to help me get to where I am so that I fully understand how to create the perfect estate plan for each individual person. Perfect. So that's great. That's a little bit of background. So again, as I mentioned, I very often will recommend people when I get a little bit better understanding of what their situation is that they do get a will in place. And I think everyone's heard of a will and, and probably thought about getting a will and, you know, is it necessary to get a will? But why don't we start off? Can you just describe in essence, in layman's terms, what is a will? Of course. So a will is a legal document that allows you to direct how your assets are going to be distributed on your death. So it's a great tool to make sure that you're providing for the welfare of your family and that your property is managed in accordance with your wishes in a tax-effective and cost-effective manner. Okay, so that's great. One of the questions that I quite often get from people is, why do I need a lawyer? Why don't I just go out and uh, buy something off of the shelf 
uh, you know, one of those pre-templated ones. Why don't I just do that? It'll be a lot cheaper. I don't have to involve a lawyer. So can you talk a little bit about that? Can people go out and create their own valid will? Like, is that something that people should be doing? Why should they come and talk to you? I mean, they can certainly try to go out and create their own will. It's not something that I would recommend. A lot of people think that their situation is very simple and it turns out that it isn't. Within those ones that you can pick up at, at a store, they really don't allow you to incorporate trusts. And if you have minor children, you want to make sure that you're setting up appropriate trusts for them. You may have shares in private corporations. You may have complex situations where you're on a second marriage and there are children from a previous marriage. And these are all situations that you really cannot put into a will that you're drafting yourself. Right. So in one way, and, and this is something I talk about on the financial planning side too, you don't know what you don't know. If you're trying to create a will and you don't know, uh, you know what a will is supposed to do and, and what isn't in that template as an individual trying to create your own will, you might just be missing things and, and you don't even know about it. That's that be fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So can you talk about the person writing the will? What does the person who's writing the will have to do in that? So, so the person who's writing the will is called the testator. He or she must be at least 18 years old and have legal capacity when they're giving the instructions for the will, but also when they're signing the will. Okay. And by legal capacity, what do you mean by that? And, and who decides? Couldn't I think that I have legal capacity and someone else might say, no, you don't? <laughs> sure. So what do you mean by that? So for legal capacity, it means you have to be an adult, so you have to be 18, and you have to have mental capacity. And that's something really that... A lawyer will, for the most part, determine when they sit down with you and they talk through what your instructions are. They're making sure that you understand who your dependents are, the scope of your assets, how they're managed. And that really comes down to the lawyer. Now, if we've been told or advised that there may be dementia, their onset of, of dementia or Alzheimer's, then that is something that's raising a red flag for us and certainly something that we will take seriously when we're sitting down with that client to ensure that they really do understand what they're doing. So if you were sitting down with a new client, and they came to you for the purpose of writing a will, are there certain questions you ask? How do you get a feel of whether or not they actually have that capacity? Sure, so what I would do is go through their family, determine if they have any dependents, if they're supporting anyone, who is managing their assets, where they're held, what they are, if they own a home, if they've sold their home, where they're banking, right. all these sorts of questions that really pulls out from them their understanding of their own financial situation yeah. and their own family situation really who they're supporting right okay perfect so one of the questions that i get quite often and the fear sometimes from some of my clients is if someone dies without a will what's going to happen because i think some people think oh if i if i don't have a will the government's going to get all my money and that's not quite true that's well down the list a lot of things have to happen before before the government would get the money so what would happen if an individual didn't have a will and they passed away so in that case that's called dying intestate and in that situation what happens is the succession law reform act steps in and dictates how your estate is going to be distributed so basically what happens is let's say it's a situation where you're married and you have kids the first $200,000 of your estate would go to your spouse, and then the balance would be divided in a certain way between your spouse and your children. If you didn't have a spouse and children, then it would go to your other family members in a prescribed manner. So it goes first up to your parents, and if you don't have parents who are living, down to your siblings, and so on and so forth. Right. And that will continue until we can't find any surviving relatives. There are no surviving relatives to be found, and in that case, it would go to the government. So 
People don't really have to worry if their big concern is, gee, the government's going to give me all my money. That's probably not going to happen. That being said, though, again, that doesn't really mean, hey, as long as the government doesn't give my money, I don't need a will. Because one of the advantages, obviously, of having a will is you can distribute your estate as per your wishes, and things happen a lot quicker. So one of the things that you didn't talk about, and I'll ask you, is in the case of someone dying without a will, it's not just you may not get your wishes, but things take a lot longer. Is that they, be fair to say? They can take longer because you haven't been able to set out who your executor is going to be, then someone is going to have to apply to become your executor, and it can take a bit longer. The other thing to keep in mind is if you don't have a will and it's going in this prescribed manner and you have a spouse and kids, then it's eliminating a lot of the tax planning you can do because if everything goes to your spouse, there are tax deferrals that come into play. If it's being split with your children, then you don't get that opportunity anymore. Right. If your kids are under the age of 18, then they're going to get their inheritance. As soon as they turn 18, there's no way to make it go a little further. So a lot of the trusts that we do set the age for children out to 30 with staggered distributions just so that they can get used to having money in their hands. Right. And this doesn't allow for that kind of planning. Right. So in theory, 18-year-old can get a bunch of money in their hands as soon as they turn 18. It's theirs. Yep. They can go out and Do buy a Porsche with yep. it and Absolutely. it's gone within a few months. And, Could and be. So that money that was meant to maybe last for years and years and years is gone. That's right. And again, you could have addressed that with some will planning, but if you, again, if you don't know what you don't know, or if you don't have a will, you've kind of lost that opportunity. That's what I'm hearing. That's exactly right. Okay, perfect. So a person does go out, in fact, they've got their will, they've got it written. One of the important things that really comes out then is when they pass away, who looks after the will? You know, what's the process after a person dies as to how the instructions of the will get carried out? Okay, so when you put a will together, one of the first things you're going to do is name your executor. And the executor is the person who, upon your death, will step in, will gather all your assets, will pay your debts and taxes, and will distribute your assets in accordance with the instructions in your will. Now, if you are living in Ontario, you're an Ontario resident, it is wise to have an Ontario executor, someone who lives in Ontario. And there are a couple reasons for that. One is that if they reside outside of Ontario, in particular outside of the Commonwealth countries, then they may be required to post a bond, and that's insurance, basically, to make sure that they don't get all the assets distributed to them and then they take off with all the money. Right. So there is a bond that, would, that may need to be posted. Logistically, it could become difficult if they're outside of Ontario as well because they will have to sign documents for selling real estate, for doing the actual administration. Another thing to keep in mind is for trust, so if you're setting up a trust in your will and you've named a non-resident executor, then that trust could end up becoming resident in the country where that executor resides, and that's a whole tax mess. Okay. Okay, good to know. So, you know, I think in the past, again, I, I talked to a lot of clients, a lot of my clients are older. Uh, if I ask them about their wills, and I say, well, who have you named as the executor? 90% of the time, it's my kids, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's my, my son and my daughter, or it's my two kids, or my three kids, or whatever. Or maybe even it's my one child out of three, and there may be reasons for doing that, but quite often it's almost by default. It's just, you know, mom and dad, uh, I'm going to name my kids as the executors. But from my understanding, again, maybe I, I know enough to be dangerous, but my understanding is things have changed around what the responsibility of the executor of the estate 
has to do and what they're responsible for. And it's become a lot more, I don't know, maybe complex or some, some legal um, liability in places. Can you talk a little bit about that, about you know, some of the specific responsibilities of the executor of the will and maybe why just automatically naming your son or daughter or child isn't necessarily the wisest choice? Okay. So the responsibilities of the executor, as I mentioned a little earlier, would be to gather in the assets, make sure your debts and taxes are paid, and then distribute. Now, when we're talking about gathering in the assets, that means going out to all the banks where you may have money, visiting all those financial institutions, and dealing with all your real estate, which also would involve selling the real estate. Now, an executor has a lot of discretion under the will, and they would be the ones who decide how much a property is going to be sold for. Right. And then dealing with all that work to make sure that the property is sold and the money falls back into the estate before yep. it's distributed. So you're right. A lot of people do name their children. It's just default. My spouse and then my kids will be yep. the executors. What you need to keep in mind is that while they don't need to be an expert in estate administration, they do need to be financially responsible. So they do need to keep proper records. They do need to keep on top of making sure that your taxes are paid because they can be personally liable for unpaid taxes of the estate. Right. They have to be organized and really, really commit a lot of time to the administration of the estate because it, it can take a lot of time to get through that administration. Now, when people are saying that they want to name their kids, the one thing that I do say is if you're just doing that because you don't want to upset one of your kids and they really don't get along, don't do it yeah. because they really do have to work together. It's very important that they come to an agreement that the estate can move forward. If they're not able to come to an agreement, then the estate is going to be held up. Yeah. So if the idea is I'm naming my kids because I'm, I don't want to upset one of them, it's a bad idea. Don't go that route. Okay. So that's great, Susanna. So before we wrap up, just do you have any other tips for people who are considering who to appoint as their estate trustee? Any other thoughts around that? Yes. So depending on your situation, so if you are in a second marriage, for instance, and you have children from a previous relationship who are adults, you really need to think about who you're naming as the executor there. Because in many situations, the current spouse and the kids do not get along. So if you want to name them as the joint executors, that's a bad idea. If you want to name your children as the executors, but everything is held in trust for the spouse, that's again, not the wisest idea. If you have shares in a private corporation and you're naming someone who has never been involved in a business before, maybe that's not, not such, such a good idea. idea. <laughs> <laughs> so really it comes down to what your estate is, how complex it is, and who really has that know-how to actually deal with the administration of your estate. And if you don't have anyone, if you don't have family members or you don't have people who are sophisticated enough in that particular area to deal with your estate, then you can always name a corporate trustee. Okay. So I'm guessing that, you know, you went through a number of examples there. I'm guessing that you have seen a number of these situations, probably a number that didn't work out so well. And that's why you're able from experience, uh, you know, I've seen things that work and see things that have not worked. So I think we can wrap it up there. It's great. I, I love sitting back on this one because I was just taking it all in because obviously you two are dealing with this a lot more than I am on the benefits side. And just sitting back, I mean, I've, I've taken a couple of tidbits out of this that are really interesting. So thank you for coming on the show, Susanna. I've learned something here today. I really hope the listeners get something out of it too. I'm sure they will. We have so much more to talk about, so I'd love to have you back on the show. But in the interim, if people want to get out and get in touch with you, what's the best way? 
So you can go on our website at www.canbylaw.com and locate me there or or you can reach out to us and I think everyone knows how to contact you or, or me, Robin, and we can certainly put you in touch with Suzanne. Absolutely. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. So that does it for another episode, folks. Keep that feedback coming. Really appreciate it. And of course, join the conversation on LinkedIn. And remember, it all starts with one.